Welcome once again to a Baseball America podcast, everyone. I'm John Manuel. We'll be joined by Will Lingo shortly for a regular Baseball America podcast, but it's a special edition. We are live from Nashville at the Baseball Winter Meetings and the close of Baseball America's 2007 Awards Gala. And I'm joined by Bill Guy Vest. This is a general manager of the Colorado Rockies, our 2007 Organization of the Year. So it's a special podcast for those of you uh, downloading us on iTunes or at BaseballAmerica.com. So, Bill, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Don't want to take too much of your time, but the first is congratulations. I mean, it's just got to be fun. Baseball is fun. It's got to be fun to be in your job and to see success with what you've been working toward on the field translated with the young players you guys had in Colorado this year. Well, thanks, John. It's nice to be here. It just... I don't know. I mean, for us, it's all been like a whirlwind. I mean, we started out the year, and I think we knew we were making progress along the way, and things were going well for us. And, and I think even if we lost that game to San Diego, the play-in game to right. get to the playoffs, I think we lose that game. We still have a great year. And, You're probably still organization of the year, too. And we show a lot of progress along, you know, for where we're headed and, and how good we think we can be. You know, it'd been another step, getting closer to where we want to go, and then all of a sudden we start winning games and going crazy and the fans of Denver kind of come back to us and we're just very excited in the Rocky Mountain region and, and uh, hopefully we've picked up a lot of fans along the way nationally. I think so. It's, a, it's an energetic brand of baseball. I, I really do, the main question I wanted to ask you is it, it, we're really kind of in this era it really seems like where I saw someone uh, quote on ESPN.com the other day just say that you know ba- ba- players you read about in Baseball America are worth more than they've ever been before. I thought it was a great quote for us. It was kind of a win for us that a major league executive was saying that. But I think you guys and the whole National League West really was kind of an example of that. The young players, the Dodgers, the Padres had the young guys they brought in, in their system and their farm systems improved. And you guys in Arizona and NL Championship Series is like a prospect handbook grudge match. But these, you know, 16 guys on y'all's roster, homegrown, drafted, developed, signed. I think it was 18 for the Diamondbacks. And it's, it was unbelievable. Uh, the way that came through. I guess what I'm wondering is what has to happen to get an organization to that point? What happened in Colorado, you feel, to get you guys to the point where if you weren't just homegrown, but you were homegrown and successful at the big league level where it really matters? I think you have to be consistent, and I think you have to be coordinated. And I think, um, you know, Billy Schmidt and I are very close. We live a block away from each other. We're driving to work every day when we're at home. That's awesome. And uh, we're very close with Clint Hurdle who, in the final analysis, handles the players at the major league level. Um, you know, our whole group, from Danny Montgomery, our assistant scouting director, Rolando Fernandez, we're very close with him as far as handling our Latin American operations. And, uh, Mark Gustafson, our farm director, everybody's just so close and such a tight group. But uh, um, I think that's led to the consistency of our communication and of all the information that, that we're trying to send. And I don't think anybody really has any type of ego or agenda um, except the one agenda of making the Rockies the best major league club we can be. And I think you know, all of that put together with a lot of good people working very hard, um, you know, I think that's how you become successful at it. Well, obviously the blueprint, uh, everyone's talking about the blueprint with the Patriots these days. The blueprint is there, I think, is for every major league club to see. When you see the Red Sox with rookies on the field, and you guys face Pedroia, a guy like a, hand, a homegrown guy like Papelbon, a rookie like Jacoby Ellsbury. I mean, the draft, scouting, player development, and I think that you guys have done that as well as any organization just in this decade. I mean, the talent had always been growing, and this year just all came to fruition. Is there any, I guess, one guy who, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, who's a 
more of a success story, more of a surprise to you guys even than others? I mean, like I think in my head, like I talked on stage, and then I never saw Brad Hawk being a big league corner outfielder. He was a college first baseman uh, who had a lot of doubles. Um, or, or, or maybe a Garrett Atkins who we kept knocking in our pages, scouts say he can't play third base. Or is it a guy like Matt Holliday who you know, we saw in our neck of the woods at Carolina be a, a 240-250 hitter in double-A where it just wasn't clicking for him. Is there one success story maybe you'd point to that was more surprising or more gratifying for the organization because of that player's perseverance or the organization's faith in him? I don't know about uh, gratifying one player, but I knew he probably was the most important in, in a lot of those names that you mentioned, and that was Matt Holliday. Okay. Because he kind of, he was pretty much the rudder. He went up there early. You know, it, it had really been since Todd Helton that there was another yeah, player that, that, you know, we brought up and we're kind of pushing in this, into the major league club. We've had a lot of free agents, and, and we're bringing players from outside the organization. So when Matt went up, we gave him the opportunity to play up there. Uh, it wasn't like you could hide him anywhere. I mean, he right. was hitting in the middle of the order. Uh, which is very difficult for a young guy to do. And a lot of big market clubs, they talk about young players. They say, oh, this guy's great, and he's hitting seven. Right. I mean, we asked our guys to step up at the big league level and hit in the middle of the order. That's a big thing to do. And Matt really steadied the ship. And I think when he solidified himself at the major league level, a lot of other players along the way that had played with him when he wasn't doing so well at right. double A said, well, if Matt can do it, I can do it. Absolutely. And he was extremely important to the whole, uh, I'd say the whole next wave of, of players that came up, the Atkins hop. And I think he helped those guys believe in themselves because that's the biggest part of it, believing you can do it. And uh, so I give Matt all the credit. Now, he's not not only just a, you know almost an MVP player, at least for us he was, and a lot of people around our place would vote sure, for him. Sure. But at the same time, he was the MVP as far as getting this whole thing started and putting us in a position where we could play in a World Series. And an uncle and Dave who's been a part of the organization for a long time as a cross-checker and as a scout and is now the special assistant of the general manager. Yeah, and there you go. It's so another thing that speaks to the consistency. It's a family affair uh, with the Rockies and the Holiday family. So, Phil, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. We'll tell on another podcast. We'll talk about the DMV in Los Angeles at the time of the sort of. But uh, oh, thanks yeah, so much for taking the time. And, uh, <laughs> and we'll, we'll have some more low. And we'll, we'll break it down on the next podcast. All we'll right. take a break on the Baseball America podcast for Bill Guyven. I'm John Manuel. We'll be back in just a moment on BaseballAmerica.com. Welcome back to the Baseball America podcast. John Manuel now joined by Will Lingo and Jim Callis and Ryan Johnson on the Baseball America podcast. RJ just waves hello, but that's, uh, that's very effective on a podcast. It is the uh, best thing about the uh, That's the best thing about the Baseball America Gala. I think that we do get everybody uh, together and we get a lot of a people true, in baseball together. A true cross section of the game, and you know, we're watching Keenan Cavillia talk to Kyle Rifkin across the room. Keenan Cavillia, who was a, whose name was dropped by uh, Gary Hughes when Gary Hughes, one of our Lifetime Achievement Award winners, says uh, he takes over as scouting director in Montreal because they weren't satisfied with the previous guy whose first two picks were Peter Cavillia and Randy Johnson in the previous draft. So that's a tough crowd. Uh, great lines tonight that fell on deaf ears, apparently. Yeah, it was a, I think everyone in the crowd was uh, checking their uh, checking their blueberries a little bit too often. And, uh, uh, <laughs> we're going to edit that out. No, we're going to keep that in. That's uh, ridiculous. I think I say that all the time. Checking the... I'm, tur- I'm turning into like this uh, Luddite. It's ridiculous. Uh, but uh, people are the trades that have happened, the activity at the winter meetings, I think, are distracting some people. But uh, Jim still, I mean, I think we honored, I think we had a, one of our best groups of honorees, Gary Hughes, a lifetime achievement, Glavin Maddox, Smoltz, a uh, lifetime achievement, and Art Stewart, the Roland Heeman Award winner. I mean, uh, I think everybody in the room 
uh, thought that Art Stewart, uh, his story, 58 years of the game, was pretty amazing. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, two of the awards I, I really like to see nominees get some recognition. Where uh, whoever picks the uh, amateur coach of the year, Vince Coleman, and, uh, the guys who get, wins that award every year always has a good story and does a, a ton for youth baseball. And those guys are always really impressive. And then I thought it was interesting, you know, the Red Sox have obviously won a lot and starting with the World Series. And you see, you know, Hugh Epstein, you know, was, you know, you could tell he was just very, very pleased that Terry Francona got the recognition as the Major League Manager of the Year award. And, I think too often uh, when you see the official awards go out for that, it's okay, which guys, teams, surprise sport drivers the most, as opposed to necessarily, you know, a guy who does a really good job. Well, I, I thought that Pierre was also, I mean, you could tell it meant something to him. I thought that we had, you know, one of our best groups, if not our best group of awards honorees. Um, some, of, some of them were very easy. Uh, I thought Alex Rodriguez pretty slam dunk choice as our major league player of the year. I thought David Price was a slam dunk as our college player. Mike Mustak is for high school. Major League Rookie, probably probably the toughest rookie choice we've had in a long time because I think we thought that Ryan Braun was going to win it easily in September, early in September, and then Rockies went on their run. Troy Tobolinski's numbers just kept growing, and you find out, you look at the defensive stats and his total chances, I and mean, that was, I know the National League vote was very close, but it's not like every year, Will, we have a tougher and tougher choice for Rookie of the Year. Uh, I don't know, I mean, and Ryan, but now Ryan Braun, he's... Like Terry Francona, we had a couple two-time award winners. Ryan Braun was a college freshman of the year award winner back in 2003. Now he's our rookie of the year. And that was just uh, that was Jake a very Serrano difficult decision. Also today, uh, he was another one. Coach of the year award winner, and now already our college coach of the year. And I think this is also our best attendance of, uh, award winners. I think A-Rod was the only winner who was not able to be here tonight. I think he is. I think that's right. That's pretty impressive. Also. In, to talk about where this gala has come from. This is the first one in Boston, and when we were here in Nashville five years ago, we were half this size. It's just a great event. Big thanks go out to Jennifer Pressler, of course. You couldn't Absolutely. be with us tonight, but uh, we know she was with us in the um, We are at the winter meeting. There is winter meeting stuff going on. If you go to baseballamerica.com, We'll have all kinds of Rule 5 previews by Chris Klein. No one eats, drinks, and sleeps the Rule 5 draft like Chris. Jim, I did want to touch base with you on the breaking news I guess that we heard late in the event, which was this blockbuster trade between the Tigers and the Marlins. Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis going to Detroit for packages that includes our, one of our people who was here last year, uh, Andrew Miller, our 2006 College Player of the Year award winner. Cameron Maven, who's been here before, is our 2005 Youth Player of the Year winner. And a package of other players going from Detroit to Florida uh, with their quick take on the trade. Well, I'll be interested to see uh, who else the Tigers is up to see. We probably won't find out until after the five draft if they want to ask the prospects. I guess we no longer have to worry about who the number one prospect is in the Marlins system. There's a lot of debate within the office as to who that might be. And I think now it's easier to handle maybe than to that. And uh, I guess Rick Porcello will have to try to offer himself to the Tigers and what would be a very thin system. Uh, I'll be very curious to see the other three players they give up in that deal are, which we'll probably won't find out until Thursday afternoon. I think it tells you the Tigers for sure want, you know, their success that they had in 2006 and the step back they took in 2007, they're not satisfied with taking, with just being pretty good. <laughs> the only desire there is to win a championship. I think it's to be commended. Um, I don't think it's very interesting that they that Dave Dombrowski makes this trade with his former organization down in Florida. Well, I think the other thing, too, that, that's really enabled them also to make the Edgar Rodriguez trade this year is the development of Chris Granderson as a player. Dude. That's it seems great like point. even at the major leagues, 
he keeps getting better every year. Every year he seems like he winds up being better there than he thought he could really be, which is the case of Robin Miners even in college. And because of that, you know, you can't play, I mean, I guess you play three center quarters and put them on the corners, but you can use the values a little bit. So they take Marcus Hernandez, get Edgar Renneria, and shore up shortstop. Now Cameron Maven, along with Adam Miller, you know, the key player in this crate, get Willis and Ferreira. And, and really, I mean, in a way, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to credit this, but Chris Granderson's development enabled them to pull the trigger on those two kids. If Chris Granderson didn't become this player, I, I doubt they give up a guy like Cameron Maven. No, I think you're absolutely right. And Cameron Maven is a guy who hit a home run off Roger Clemens in his first big league game. He's not a guy of <laughs> short on talent, number one prospect for us in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, I was talking to a scout yesterday. He thought that Cameron Maven, as good as he was, was maybe even a little bit overrated, he thought. You know, the, the hit tool still is a little bit more raw than you know, a lot of people thought. But Miguel Cabrera, you get Miguel Cabrera. Ozzie Gein just quoted the other day when he was here yesterday uh, talking about the civil rights game uh, the White Sox will play in Memphis in the spring. So, you know, Miguel Cabrera's lost already has lost at least 15 pounds this offseason. He's going to be in much better shape than you see him in spring training. Um, so, I mean, if that's the case, Miguel Cabrera in the middle of that lineup with Magli Ordonia, Gary Sheffield, that's pretty scary. Uh, Carlos Guillen over at first base. Man, uh, Yvonne Rodriguez will hit eight or nine, and, as he probably should in that lineup. Uh, that's pretty impressive what's going on in Detroit. I guess, uh, uh, Jim, and Will, the other news that's going on in the winter meetings is the Johan Santana sweepstakes. Uh, it's going to be hard for any. It's going to be hard to over, uh, be a bigger story than this Miguel Cabrera yeah. trade. I guess I'm wondering what you guys think will happen uh, with Johan Santana and uh, the rumors swirling there. Well, it, it seems like the, the leader in the clubhouse right now to get in some of these guys is the Red Sox. But I, I think that now that Cabrera is off the table for everybody else, and the Angels become very big players in the Johannes Santana trade. I, I think, honestly, Cabrera, I mean, Santana makes a lot more sense than Cabrera can be a good team. I, I think they need pitching more than they need. Cabrera is bad in that lineup. Um, but I, I think the thing is with the Twins, you wait until somebody makes you an offer that blows you away. You don't have to make a trade now. You can make a trade now. You can go into the season and make a trade in the season. We're looking at it from the Red Sox and Yankees are buying some executives who talked to admissions. You can sign this guy after one year as a free agent and keep all these prospects and you know, either develop them or use them in other deals. So, uh, you know, some people think the Twins might be able to sign their hand. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the one risk you take with that, obviously, is if, if, you're, if you're big Hank Steinbrenner, right, you're, you're blustering and you're not going to... The great thing about it is the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, and neither one neither wants to get one up by the other, so that's what escalates the game. Right. And this and every, every occurrence from the so There's a lot more pressure, I think, on the Yankees because the Red Sox won two World Series recently. Hank Steinbrenner seems determined, no matter what the move is, to put his imprint on his team. Uh, but, the, but the risk is if you're franchising in transition, although it looks right now like the big league team is going to look almost exactly like it did last year, unless they pull a big deal like it did Right, and yeah, but the, I was saying, you know, the one risk, back to what you said earlier, is that it's, it's great to say, okay, we're going to wait, we're not going to pay this exorbitant price of prospects and sign these guys as free agents. But then if somebody, if the Angels trade for him or the Red Sox trade for him, you don't get that chance. And you have to play those teams in the playoffs, you don't have to say, and you have to get that in the media in those two cities in particular, which is unrelenting. Yeah, I think if, if the Yankees don't get it, we'll see more of their MO, which it amazes me how much this gets lapped up by the local media there. This whole theory that the Yankees are extorted and are asked for better prospects than everybody else. You know, we were talking about ourselves. You know, if you really want Johan Santana, you know, aside from what it's going to cost you salary-wise, you know, Phil Hughes is a great prospect. Mel Cabrera 
to me, is really solid at best. I mean, he had a, a 7-10 ops this year. He's young, but I mean, he's not an all-star caliber player for me. Ian Kennedy, great moxie. The guy pitches above his stuff, but it's, it's, it's you know, really, if you're great, you know, it's not better than average stuff. These aren't the types of Even Ian Kennedy, they're balking and saying, you know, at least what we hear, they're balking at that. Yeah. They don't want to give him anything. You know, and then if they're not going to put Kennedy, you know, they're supposedly they're asking for Austin Jackson, who's intriguing, but has had one good year in the minors. Definitely. You know, really. And he's in a lock center field. You know, or Alan Horn, who has a good arm, but, you know, also has a reputation that goes back to high school for being soft. I'm sure that'll play really well in New York if that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, the Yankees, you know, on one hand, I, I think, you know, you get the local media saying that everybody's asking the Yankees more than they ask for other teams, but if you talk to teams privately, they'll tell you the Yankees don't want to discuss any of their prospects. I, I think the Yankees maybe, you know, you used to hear this about Pat Gillick, you used to hear it about Terry Ryan. I, I think the Yankees maybe fall in love with their prospects a little bit too much, and then Hank, you know, bangs the table angrily, and we aren't going to be used. You know, so. And the one organization we haven't talked about uh, in both of these deals is the Marlins. And I think this Mike Garavino wrote in his Marlins overview weeks before this trade ever happened. They're just in another Marlins cycle where they have to sell off their their valuable parts that are becoming expensive to get the young pieces to hopefully build for another run of success. This kind of seems like part of that run is getting a new ballpark or you know, franchise in South Florida. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen with the Marlins, at least with this, this trade specifically today. You know, I'm not, uh, I, I, obviously I like Andrew Miller. I'm not I, I'm not so sure Andrew Miller's not going to just wind up being good rather than great, but I'd rather have Andrew Miller right now than Dontrell Willis. I don't don't be surprised. Dontrell Willis struggles going to the American League. I mean, Josh Beckham, who's got a lot bigger arms, struggled. And with Cabrera, I think we just got a point where they didn't want to pay him an arbitration. But at least you get Cameron Maven, who's yeah, you probably could use a little bit more time in the minors. But he's, you know, you could put him in the big leagues, and it really solves a hole they've not been able to fill, which is center field. So, so you know, it gives them some flexibility there, and you know, we'll see what they can come up with at third base. And again, they're another young Marlins team that not many people are going to notice. Okay, it's the best podcast ever. I took a little snack break in the middle of the podcast. And, and I actually got to talk to Jim Cowles on the podcast, and now we'll see if we can't erase it. Race it. One for two on Jim Cowles' podcast. We'll see if it happens on the first three person podcast. Yeah, we'll see how it works and maybe try again. Absolutely. Well, and we might even podcast post Rule 5 draft. That's our plan. You're never going to get better Rule 5 draft coverage than Baseball America. And BaseballAmerica.com because we're all about the Rule 5. And uh, Chris Klein's still chasing down. He was working the room, schmoozing, telling the photographer whom to take the picture of. Chasing down the Rule 5 information. So Jim, thanks for being on the podcast. I want to thank Bill Gaudet of the Colorado Rockies, 2007 Organization of the Year. Anything else from you, Will? Thanks to everyone who makes the gal such a great event. Absolutely. So thank you for downloading it at BaseballAmerica.com and iTunes. Until our next podcast, so long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.